0: Greetings, programs. We apologize for not having a show this week, but Derek Diamond did fill in for me over on the Open Micers podcast with Jacob Craig. And this week, they got to talk to Miss Laura Faye Smith, who plays Rosalina in the Mario franchise. So it is video game centric. For those of you who don't get to listen to the Open Micers podcast, this is what we normally do over there. So if you'd like to go check out that show, please do. But if not, here it is, and you get to hear it yourselves. Hope you have a good week. And hope to see you all at Pensacon this weekend.
1: But I am Jacob Craig. That's Derek Diamond. Say something, Derek. Let the people know you're here.
0: Uh, And the people turn away in droves as soon as they hear my voice. But no, really excited to be here. I know I've been on the show as a guest a couple of times, and Jason reached out to me a couple of days ago and said that he wasn't able to make it and asked me to fill in. So more than happy to do it. So Jacob, happy to be here with you and with our very special guest.
1: Yes, we have a very special guest tonight. I'm very I've been excited for this one all week, actually. This is a guest, who you know, as a voice actress from Super Mario Galaxy. Fire Emblem, so much more, and she will be at Pensacon this weekend, February 18th through the 20th. Make sure you visit her. It is none other than Laura Faye Smith. Thank you for joining us. How are, how are you doing today, Miss Smith?
2: I'm good. Glad to be here. Can I make a slight correction to something just because I like to make sure people know? I am the third person to voice Rosalina, and so I did not do Galaxy. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm... I'm going to kill myself. now. No, no. My first game was Super Mario 3D World in 2013. That's the first game I did. And I've done everything since then. Um, but I just like to give credit where credit's due. That there were two other actresses who voiced Rosalina before I came on. And so um, and I like if when people come up to get things signed, a lot of times if they bring me Super Mario Galaxy, like they're game case I'm always like just so you know that wasn't me if you you know and some people are like fine no I want you to sign it anyway I just love Rosalina but if people are like no I only want that from the voice actor who did that I just like to make sure that we keep the, the record straight
1: all right yeah yeah this is already going great for me
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bothered at all I just like to make sure that I don't take credit for something I didn't do
0: which is very classy of you to do Not not a lot of people will do that. I I am curious because you bring up that you are, you know, you were not the first to voice the character of Rosalina. When you were brought in to do the role, uh, did you have to like, do they want any like slight modifications? Did you get to put your own little twist on or they just say, do this voice verbatim exactly as it is?
2: They had me do both. Like I voice matched it and they had me kind of put a spin on it, um, you know. And so and I actually uh, Carrie and I sound pretty. Cl- Carrie Kane was the actress who did it right before me. Um, I think we sound clo- pretty close together. You know what I mean? I don't think our voices are dramatically. I mean, again, because, you you know, you're going into that kind of more high pitch oh, ah, kind of sound. But um Yeah, they just had me kind of do my own thing with that, and like put my own spin on it. But it does sound similar to what lived before because that's what had been established. I think anytime you're coming in on something when other people have done it before, that you're frequently asked to try voice matching it. So that's not a complete like, wait, what? That's not how that character sounds at all.
0: Well, I've always been curious about you know actors that step into like a previous character that was played by someone else. Do they get to put their own little twist on it, or they just here it's already been established? You have to do this. So well, I think it depends. that's good, though.
2: I think it depends, because like if you think about like Looney Tunes, right, like I think Eric Bowza is that actor who's doing like Porky Pig, uh, Bugs Bunny, like he's doing all those voices. I mean, you can't really like completely change that iconic of a character and not have like a lot of backlash about that. Um, so I think in certain cases, for sure, they're like looking for you to sound as close as possible to what existed. I I've been asked to like voice matching is kind of its own thing. And I had never really tried doing that before. And there's so many reasons people do voice matching. It could be, you know, they are, they're like, all right, who can sound like, you know, uh, like name an actor, you know, like a, an actor, or an actress right now, like if, they were like, can, can you sound like Bette Midler? Right. Or something like, cause she was doing a project and she wasn't available to do some ADR. They might bring someone in who can sound like that person to do some of that, those, those pickups when they're cause of schedule and trying to get things done. Um, so yeah, when you're, when you're trying, like being able to like exactly voice match stuff, there's some people like that's all they do as voice artists. Like they have careers of sounding like certain people or being able to kind of sound like a certain type of voice, like because their voice is deep too, or, or whatever quality that they have. Um, and then again, like if you are coming in on things that already exist, sometimes, yeah, you really want to try and sound like the original. And then other times, depending on the developers or the people that are in, they maybe wanted something to change, you know, in some cases, I think on some jobs, people... Feel like the voice needed to be different in some way. Um, not like that actor, first actor didn't do a good job. Like, like they just might be like, we want this to sound younger, we want it to sound older, we want it to sound uh, higher, lower, whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of reasons, like why they would ask you to match it and why they would ask you to change it. Yeah. Well, while
1: we're on the subject, I actually haven't had a lot of uh, opportunities to interview voice actors, so forgive me if this is like a layman question, but. (laughs) I know Princess Ro- uh, Rosalina in particular is a character who doesn't say much, but at the same time has like her own distinct personality. And I was curious to know, like, if that's something that's hard to kind of get across through a microphone or if that's kind of just what the job of a voice actor is.
2: Definitely the second thing you said, that it's the job of the voice actor to figure out um how to, how to do that, you know, because I do think it, when this always comes up a lot, like people wanting to get into voiceover, they're like, well, what should I do? You know? And I'm like, take acting classes, because depending on what you're like, especially if what you're interested, because most people who are asking that are not like, they don't want to be commercial voiceover. They're not like wishing they could read the Legatist blue cross, blue shield ad. They're like wanting to do animation. They're wanting to do video games. And I'm like, yeah, it's all acting. It's not standing in front of the mic stock, still doing a funny voice. You are like when I am auditioning for a video game and it's like a combat level game, I'm like saying it while I'm throwing a grenade, you know, like you're, you're doing like all this stuff with your body. Um, And having come from theater, like live theater, like that's where most of my training was and what I did for years. uh, That's what I'm bringing to it. Um, And you're, you're definitely using your whole body as well as voice. And yes, sometimes sounding different than you, but so much of the stuff now, a lot of people sound like themselves. You know, if you think of some of these more, like a call of duty or something like or you know, like like games where you've got maybe real people living in a dystopian world or something like that. You're not doing a, a voice, quote unquote. You sound like yourself. And I audition for plenty of things where I just sound like me in a certain circumstance. So um I think I didn't totally answer your question though. You said like doing a character like Rosalina who doesn't talk a lot. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's about doing the voice that the producers and I decided was the voice that we were going to use to that. And then imbuing it with emotion, depending on what's happening, like I'm winning the race. I fell on hot lava. That's horrible. Somebody bumped me from behind. You're such a jerk. We're playing Mario Kart. Uh, you know, it's, it's emotionally bringing something to the table.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up your, uh, improv background as well, but cause I'm a stand-up comedian. So that, yeah. you know, kind of jumped off at me. When did you start, um, doing improv and, and how did you uh, get into it?
2: Improv? God, my relationship with improv. So when I graduated from college, I didn't really have any improv training. I was like, I am a serious actress. Like I wanted to do like drama, <laughs> zero fun about it. You know, I just was like, no, nah, you know, I want to be in the shows where you cry and do all that stuff. And then, um, I moved to Portland and I went on some auditions and the only thing I was getting hired to do was improv And I wasn't that good at it. I have to say, like, I was like, (laughs) I was not trained at all. Um, I never knew why it worked when it worked and why it didn't, when it didn't, I couldn't have told you from show to show, but I was like. I got in with two different kind of improv shows. One was like kind of a dinner theater improv type show where you were like interacting with the audience one-on-one, like one of those murder mystery things, like not high art here, but talk about like being thrown in the deep end in terms of not only are you going to improv, but you're gonna improv with people who aren't improvisers. They're like audience members, but you have to stay in character and deal with anything that anyone in the room says to you, not like other trained improvisers on stage with you. And then I started working with an actual improv group from people I met doing that, where we were doing short form improv and like traveling all over and touring with that. So during that period of time, I was like touring internationally with that dinner theater show and then touring nationally with the improv group. Um, And really for a lot of it, not really understanding what I was doing, but, but just learning trial by fire and like having horrible shows sometimes. And then I finally went and took some training. I went and trained up at like the Loose Moose in Calgary, Canada, um, where like, you know, Keith Johnstone, who wrote Impro, like he's there and that's his theater there and, and did some training down at Bats in San Francisco and some different things. And then I suddenly had Technique. And that's when it got really interesting because I was suddenly like, okay, I know why it's not working right now. Um, And then I got really into long form right after that. And I loved that because it was like an improvised play. And that was so exciting because like here I'm this stage actress and it was like, oh, long form is literally like just improvising a play. And when you're working with other really skilled improvisers, that's like, it doesn't get much better. So that's kind of I, I fell into it. Honestly, it was never a goal. And I I was really like, where are these opportunities for me to do these dramatic, you know, roles that I want to do? And then all of a sudden it was just all comedy improv for like a period of years. And because I was touring, I, I wasn't auditioning for plays because I was gone all the time. Like I would leave these international tours would be like anywhere from four, like six to eight weeks. So be gone for a couple of months. And then um the other ones would be like a matter of like three or four weeks as well. And I would sometimes do them back to back. So I was just seeing the world and uh doing a lot of improv and like doing it for a lot of different types of crowds everything from corporate shows to we were entertaining troops overseas sometimes on like uh international bases where some people didn't speak English and then like you know just doing regular shows for just regular people who came in for entertainment and then weekly shows at a theater like it was just improv 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 all the time for several years and then I finally felt at some level I had some mastery over it because of that and then getting training was a really long answer to a short question sorry about that that, hey that's (laughs) exactly what we want
0: (laughs) yeah no that's great I I, and I tell myself or tell other people because I I host a podcast that's based around film and tv Uh I say almost ad nauseum on the show that I have so much respect for theater actors and even more so those who do improv because in theater alone it's like you're out there without a safety net you know it's almost like if you make a mistake you have to make it part of the show you got to fix it but yeah. then doing improv where you don't really know what's going to happen like that's it gives me so much anxiety thinking about it if I had to do it. But it's also like I could see the excitement out of you doing know, it. as you
2: go ahead. Well, you, you know, what was really interesting is when I finally did then start doing regular theater again. I will never forget that first show I did after I had been like just, I don't know, four or five years of straight improv all the time, like in a lot of it Um I went and did this play and it was like, I was, I was just like, I was bringing all this freedom and choices, never doing it the same way twice. Like I had become so much more fun as a, as a, just a regular actor, like as in a regular play with a script because the luxury of suddenly at least knowing what I was going to say, and that the jokes were already written for me half the time, and then I just could like get up there and play and be spontaneous. And that was something I was not really great at, like because I was so hospital cornered about everything and you know taking myself way too seriously. Like I feel like, you know, we, we we see our path sometimes and think it should look like this or it should be like this, and then things out of your control in terms of well, no one's going to hire you to do that, so you're going to have to do something else. Happen. And I'm so appreciative of my path because I changed so much as an actor. It was—it's like you know, have you ever worked out like trained with weights, like weighted bracelets or ankle weights if you're a runner, and then they take them off and you fly, like you just you feel so fast. It was like that. It was like uh, I'm so bogged down by the technique and trying to be good and trying to make things work, and then suddenly I had this very loose freedom and willingness to experiment uh, thing that I had to develop to survive and improv and then bringing that to stage. I was a completely different actor on the other side of that. And that was, that was exciting. And I don't know if that would have happened if I had just been like, I'm going to do Shakespeare all the time. And on the other side of it now, I mean, I got to tell you, that's one of the biggest things that people want from you, especially in animation uh, video games, like your ability to, bring something to it to that project like yes honor their script but be able to play outside those lines a little bit the fact that that's that's a that's a muscle that i have developed at this point that's incredibly useful to me and definitely i know it's helped me book jobs like i'll do a take the way it's written and then i a lot of times we'll do a second take where i just riff on things and i i'm sure that has been helpful for me in booking
0: well i think you know it's in the film and i can Assume that Sage is the same way. That's what's so great about the collaboration is that someone writes it a certain way, but you give it to an actor and they might be able to do something completely different with it or just add a little nuances to it that just takes the character completely over the oh. top and you know, in ways that you never would have thought imaginable.
2: 100%. And then, then how, then having like, like someone who can see it that way. Right. Because there are people who are very tightly controlling are like, no, you know, you got to do it. And it's like, all right, that's fine. But allowing people to bring the best of themselves to the table, like those are, those are the most exciting and uh, fulfilling directors and people to work with. And, and for sure, like honoring what they wrote. Like, I mean, I have certainly worked with Play. I've done a lot of new work, like I've worked on a lot of new plays and been in new play workshops where the sometimes the playwright really just wants to hear what they wrote because they need to know if it works or not. They don't want you just up there, you know, reinventing it while they're trying to still figure out what it is. So I'm totally fine, especially in that situation. But it is sometimes fun when they're like they're curious to see what you're going to do. And that then they they're like, oh, that's an interesting thing. I didn't, you know, think of that, but I like that. And now I'm going to take it and run with it. And that collaboration is incredibly exciting to be around because you just are like, oh, okay, we're both bringing something to the table. This is it's fun to go to work.
0: It's the best part about film, TV and stage, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. And, And it's I was just talking to someone else about this, like the role of the director in stage versus like TV and film. It's so different because in stage, the audience is looking at the whole stage. Like you you can kind of control where people look because you can like create a moment and have everybody else on stage, like look over at that moment. So there's nothing else for anyone to look at like, or, you know, the way you light it or whatever, but in film, literally you can take the camera and that is the eye of the watcher, whether they like it or not, you're going to look at what they are telling you to look at in this moment. They are going to like hover over something or stay on something or not show you something. And you have no control over that. Like you really have to go on that. And as an actor, just like suddenly realizing like how much, uh, how, how dependent, like you don't, when you're filming scenes, you don't even always know what I just shot a short film this weekend. And at one point I was like, did you guys get my coverage? They're like, yeah, it's when we were doing this. And I was like, I thought you were on the person next to me. And they're like, we loved everything you were doing. I'm like, I didn't even know you were on me. Like, I literally didn't even know that you were I'm like, okay, I guess I was relaxed because I didn't really think, I thought that it was like this much of me. I thought just my shoulder was in the shot. And the whole time they had like, at one point they just moved over and got like all my close-ups and stuff. And I did not even know.
1: Filmmakers can be sneaky like that. Yeah. (laughs) Do you do a lot of um, independent film work like
2: that? Um, Well, I live in LA now and there's just a lot more of that in general here. Like it was harder to come by when I lived in the Northwest because there's just fewer things like that happening. But then, yeah, when you're living in Los Angeles, like you can- It's very easy to find projects to be a part of like, I mean, you hope to always be the ones you're getting paid for. But if you just like wanted to do something, there's so many student films and, you know, people just wanting to do projects and saying, you know, hey, we need some people to come do this. And like that, that makes it easy to get involved. But yeah, so a lot more since I've started working here. And it's been it's been cool because it was not a medium I had worked a lot in and I had a lot to learn about it. But then COVID happened. And suddenly you're doing self tapes all the time instead of going in person to audition. And that's been really great. Like I know, I mean, not COVID has been great, but, but having to do your own self tapes, you learn so much about that's the thing when people like, cause some people are like, I hate this whole self taping thing. And I hope it goes away. I'm like, you're going to be on film in the end anyway. So it's kind of helpful to like, look at what you're doing now on film, just in the audition. And if it's not working, that's a way you can change it because you're getting, you watching yourself all the time. And I had all sorts of weird things. I was quirks and things I was doing that I didn't know because usually you go in and they tape you and you never see it. And I was like, that could be why I didn't get a few jobs. <laughs> what was I doing with my face? I don't know. But uh, the only way that I was able to get it under control was from seeing it happen so much and being like, all right, that weird thing you're doing, stop, stop doing that.
0: Well, I think it's great that you did that, too, because in the new age we live in and because we're still in the covid era. Yeah. Well, I think what you learn and take away from it, given the situation is really, you know, what you make of it. So I think the fact that you did self tapes and you became aware of stuff that you wanted to correct, I I think actually speaks volumes of you as as an actor to have that type of self-awareness.
2: Yeah, I mean, and and it's uh, what do they say? The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. I mean, it was like a lot of that, where you're just like mortified at yourself. You know, spending a lot of time being like, how have I worked at all? I mean, when you sometimes watch your own stuff, you're like, God, it felt like I was like I knew what I wanted to do, and then I watched it, and I'm like, I didn't do any of that. Like that wasn't coming across. But um, I I have been like fascinated with the learning process on that, and it's just been given so much opportunity in the last two years to practice. So now I feel like, gosh, if I had like a call back and I went in in person, like I'm so much more relaxed because I actually know now, like I'm like very aware of like, if I do this, I think it looks like that as opposed to like, how does this look even down to like, I will never wear that shirt again for an audition. You know, like there's certain things that just look, they make you look terrible. It's like, I don't, I don't know why I thought that was, it looked good in front of the mirror. It looks crazy on camera. Um, And those are just like the, just the tip of the iceberg of stuff that I, that you learn in this process. Now, are you guys both? You're you do comedy like stand-up and um, and improv and stuff. And then are you guys film, TV actors as well? Or
0: uh, Jacob's a stand-up comedian. I'm a filmmaker slash podcaster.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Cool.
0: Yeah. No, is I the hearing the film stuff, like I, I'm, I don't know if you can really tell, but I'm just nerding out over all this stuff. So well, it's, I I love hearing you know behind the scenes stuff because film is just so fascinating to me. Because yeah. I consider every film, even if it's a short film, to be a miracle because I know what it takes to make them happen. So, wow.
2: no kid, for sure. I can't even tell you the of things I've been in that didn't go in. Like, I'm like, did you, did you get finished? They're like, no, we ran out of money or whatever. Like, so many projects that just don't even get finished. Like, you got paid for being a part of it, but they never see the light of day. Maybe you'll get lucky and see some footage. That happens a lot. I mean, yeah, it's a total labor of love. And then there's so many moving pieces, you know, not just, I mean, we look at it and we see those actors and we think that I'm like, man, so much about the lighting, so much about having a good DP, so much about having uh, a director who has a story to tell and a point of view. That's what I find really exciting. There was, there's a movie rental place in Portland called movie madness. Have you ever heard of this joint? Mm-hmm. If you ever go there, check it out. It's like, you still can go like rent DVDs there and whatnot, but it's arranged by filmmaker like that's how you find uh, films. it's like they've got uh, like you know the paul thomas anderson section and the you know quentin tarantino section and the truffant and like whatever so you can kind of nerd out on a filmmaker that you're curious about and and i did that like it's so it's so because you're just like this is everything they've done that they have and you can go just kind of gorge yourself on that and then then see, and then like if you're reading interviews, going, oh, okay, well this person said they were in, in influenced by this person. Let's see, let me like watch a bunch of the source material, the person who started the influence, and now let me go watch the people who were influenced by that and see what they borrowed. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah, I didn't even yeah. know there was a video store still in existence in Oregon. Like you, you they're not around anymore. So well, that's awesome. Sure. There's a
2: great documentary. My friend James Westby, um, he did this one called, I think called The Last Video Store." I think is what it's called. And he interviews like John Waters and Bill Hader and like all these different people. And then he was, he's going to these various like places in New York and other places, and interviewing people there about um, these, why they loved them, and you know what was exciting about them. I can send you a link and if you want to maybe put it in your show notes if, if anyone yeah. was curious about seeing that. but it's great, and I'm in it actually, very, very briefly. like i'm I'm in the very beginning at Movie Madness with my best friend. like we're just kind of there. Like we actually did a scene when we were talking to one of the guys from Jackass. Um, and, uh, I don't think they ended up using it. I think it got cut, but he sent me the clip and I actually like have that as a clip that I send in for stuff because we were improvising. And so I use it as like an improv clip for submitting for auditions, but yeah, that whole movie is, is, is super interesting. Um, because they're going to like, you know, the blockbusters that like the last one that was left, but movie madness mm-hmm. is a total cult fave and Portland likes that kind of stuff. And that place is still open and going strong unless COVID has changed it since I left because I've been away now for four years. So I can't always say, but I would have a feeling just because it was small and independent. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's beloved, you know, like, like people are very passionate about it.
1: Yeah. I want to do some research into that for sure. Also love the guys from Jackass. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, to call back to something we were talking about earlier about the pandemic. I, I personally feel like and, and I think maybe this comes from interviewing so many people in the entertainment industry throughout this year. I, a hot take I have is that COVID was kind of good for people who have creative interests because it gave us so much time to just be forced to sit down like with our art and improve ourselves because we could do nothing else other than that.
2: One hundred percent. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, it was scary and nerve wracking and it definitely made things like being on set kind of a drag because you have to, you know, you get your makeup on and then you put a mask over that and then you take it off and like your lipsticks, you know, like little things like that. Super annoying. And then always a little bit of that just nerve wracking feeling of like, I hope we don't get sick, especially before people were vaccinated. But yeah, then the flip side of that was like all the things you had to suddenly learn, like all the things that you had to suddenly learn to do from home and the level of appreciation I have for any kind of engineer makeup, all the things that I suddenly was doing myself, like all the tech and then all the hair, wardrobe, makeup stuff. That was suddenly my responsibility. 100%. Like even being on set for things where usually they would have brought makeup in because of COVID. They're like, we're going to ask everyone to do their own hair and makeup and and come in that way. And I was like, Yeah, for sure. Because I didn't want someone using like a brush on someone else and then on me. Um, So we started doing that. But but yeah, oh, you really appreciate those people. It's like, they know what they're doing. Like, I can tell I did this myself. (laughs) Like, I know I miss that. I miss having somebody who is an expert in their field and certainly voiceover and stuff like that from home and dealing with like, you know, trying to be the talent and trying to engineer something. But there was that phase of time where people just weren't going in anywhere.
0: And Jacob, you and Jason started this podcast during the peak of COVID, right? Did you
1: really? That's right. Yes, we started. So this this is going to be episode ninety, I think. Ninety, what? right on the dot. So we started prolific.
2: A whole, is it every week? Yes,
1: weekly. Okay. So a whole ninety weeks ago, we started this bad boy because we couldn't go outside. So.
2: That's great. But and look at that. And now you've got like this this viable thing that I'm assuming yep. if you've done ninety of them, you must like it at least a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's all right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, and and like, I want to say like Clubhouse, you know, are you guys familiar with Clubhouse? Yeah. That Mm -hmm. came out like during COVID and I was obsessed with Clubhouse when it came out because they had all these rooms that were like, agents and casting directors and you could go on and just listen to these people talk and you could ask them questions and get advice. There was this room I was going to all the time called The Givens and it was casting directors who just missed working with actors because they didn't really have that very much anymore and a lot, a lot of things were were even happening so they didn't have as much to cast and you could have an audition like a self-tape you were doing and you could go in that room and be like okay here's what I'm supposed to do for this and I'm thinking of kind of that and what do you think and they would give you like the best advice it was like so I'm like I would have to go to some boring cocktail party and or, you know, like like some meet and greet and find parking and pay like fifty dollars to park my car and then like kind of stand there and work up the nerve to like go up and kind of break into conversation where I'm like, Clubhouse is amazing. It's free. I'm in my pajamas. I'm in my apartment and I'm asking these people who like cast all these great shows questions. It was I was just like and that came up during that period of time.
0: Yeah. Clubhouse so, is great. And I, I've made this joke before, but I wish I had bought stock in zoom right before oh, COVID hit. For sure.
2: Yeah. Cause now we're all pretty proficient at zoom. Like I didn't know how to, I think I'd been on zoom a couple of times before or something, but now, yeah.
0: I had never heard of it until COVID hit and we used it, you know, for my old job and we would do our weekly meetings after we worked remotely. Like, yeah, we're going to use zoom. I'm like, what's zoom? Yeah. I was like Skype. And I'm like, it's so much better than Skype. Yeah. So but yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I think you know, it, it goes back to, and I think you know, the, this podcast that Jacob and Jason do is just another example of, yeah, COVID has been a terrible thing, and I don't want to discount all the tragedies and all the bad things that have happened right. because of it, but it is what you make of it. You know, it's like this saying I heard a long time ago, that life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond to it. So Absolutely. you get in this bad situation, this virus that has shut everything down. What can you do to make the most of it?
2: Right, and well, what's what's the other phrase? Is um, what's the mother of necessity? Uh, what do they call it? Uh, in a, oh, what is that? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That phrase. Yeah. invention is necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, it. yeah, that's it. Yep. That's that's the one. Yeah. And I I love that where it's like yeah, like I used to have this job where I was I used to interview all these. I was writing like a shopping column for this online uh, outlet, and so I would go like you know. A new shop opened up and, you know, or like someone was, you know, had this really cool product or whatever. I, I interviewed all these people. And the main theme that I saw running through after doing this many, many times was that people who started businesses tended to either start them because they they thought something should exist that didn't exist. And they went, I guess I have to do it because it doesn't exist. Like, I think that, you know, this phone should I think something like this should happen and so they they went and they did that and then the other were people who couldn't work for anyone else like the, that the other thing was well I got yeah. fired like a lot of people were like well I got fired and I just kind of realized I didn't play well with others and I was getting fired all the time and every job I worked at I was at odds with people so I was like I guess I have to work for myself so I opened this business and that those were the two main things I heard was like being kind of pushed against the wall in that situation of like, no one else is going to do it for me. So I have to do it myself or nobody likes me. So I will like myself and run my own show.
0: Absolutely. Mm. So I I did want to pivot a little bit back to the the Rosalina uh, role that you have. So how did you initially find out that that role was open? And I'm curious, were you a fan of the Mario games before you got the role?
2: Yeah, I was. I mean, I had played the game. Like I had a college roommate who got um, a gaming system when we were in college. And I don't know how any of us didn't like flunk out that year. Cause that's all we did was, was play that game. Like one of us, we, we would take turns on it, but like you'd come home from class and she'd be like, ah, I learned to fly today. And you'd be like, Oh my God, teach me how to fly. And then you'd like play it for hours and hours. And so I, that was kind of my first exposure to playing it. And then, um, then I went for a period of time where I didn't, and then I think I won a Game Boy in a raffle, like a little. Um, oh, nice! I can't remember That's which awesome. one. It wasn't, it wasn't the original like Game Boy; it was like a later model Game Boy. I, I can't remember which model it was or what it was called. But I like bought. I was at some charity function with someone I was working for. He's he, I was an executive assistant at that point, and like he would drag me around to like all these charity things, and I'd be and I got pressured into buying a raffle ticket, and I was like. want to buy a raffle. And then I won this Game Boy and I was like, oh, super fun. And it was like, it was Super Mario World, I think was the game, which is the game that I had played and knew. So then I got into playing that again and I had that and I actually did a play. I was doing a production of It's a Wonderful Life. And there was this little boy who played my son who had his Game Boy backstage too. Like I had brought it because there's just a lot of waiting, you know, like when you're in tech, it's really long and Um, he was so upset that I only owned one game. Like he just couldn't get, he was just like, this isn't right. That you only have one game. So he brought me some of his old games and gave them to me permanently. and was just like, I'm going to take care of you. Like you, you should, like, I want you to have, it's sad that you only have a game. So then I, I had a few others and then I was doing another play where I was, I was like on stage almost the whole time, but I had a friend who was in the show who was a big gamer. It, like he literally has like a, a Zelda is it link um, from Zelda. Is that mm-hmm. the character? Yep. He, he yeah. has like a tattoo of that. He um, had a DS Lite backstage and I was obsessed with it. And it was Wario. The Wario game Touched, I remember, which, you know, you could like mm-hmm. you blow on it and it made things move. Or, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, Those games so many- are great. Oh, those games are great. And like nothing like I had ever experienced in any moment I was not on stage. I was like, "Who has it? Who has the thing? And he finally said like, give me some money and I will go buy you one. So, and I was like, okay. So I gave him cash and he bought me this like light pink DS light, which I still have to this day. And we used to actually do... We did another show together and it was a really miserable experience. And I actually, I have this on my Instagram, if you go scroll back, but there's a picture of me in like a kind of Victorian costume with like this big wig on. And then I've drawn in like the outline of the DS Lite because we were so miserable. We would like race each other on the internet backstage. Um, We'd race Mario Kart. And uh, then we would like pause the game, put it in our pockets over these Victorian costumes, go out and do the scene. And then like come off stage and then just like pick right back up. And I, I mean, not professional at all, but honestly, it was the only way we didn't like just sink into depression doing that show. So that was like that was that was that. And then um, so I, that was like I had I, pl- I had played and I was familiar with the games and stuff. And then the audition just came to me through my agent. Um, and uh, like I said, you know, they they had me do that and I got the job. So
0: did you ever think you know, growing up playing Mario that one day you'd be involved with the franchise,
2: not at all because I never even saw myself as a voiceover artist, you know, like i I really was thinking like stage actor because that's what I knew. um so that's what really seemed possible. It's funny because you know Jen Taylor, who's like the voice of Cortana and Halo, and she was the original Princess Peach and toad um, she and I did a play together. We did a production of Pride and Prejudice, um and you know we she was like Lizzie and I was Mary and She, I remember her talking to me about doing that game, like, you know, like, like talking about doing video games. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Never really thinking that, that I would have done it myself. So voiceover was something I kind of just fell into, um, kind of like improv, right? These are these things that have brought me like so much joy and happiness and had really great experiences around, but I really had always thought, oh, I'm just going to be a stage actress. So, uh, no, I did not ever think when I watched those games, but I was also always a huge fan of when I realized June foray did all the voices on Rocky and Bullwinkle, like she was all the women, everyone from Natasha to Rocky to Nell to everybody. I was just like, wow, that's amazing. And I remember thinking like really admiring that and being fascinated with that and thinking it was super cool. Um, but never, never thought that that would be me. Cause I didn't really do voices, you know?
0: But you never know where life's going to take you.
2: No, you don't. You really don't. I mean, like the, the when you make all these plans and you think like, this is my path. And I remember being young and, you know, like right out of college and having people who had their likes literally up on their wall. Like I had this guy who was like, this is my five-year plan. And this is how, when and he was going to be famous at the end of the five. I still don't think it's happened yet. Yeah, um, oh, that yeah. was quite a long time ago, but best laid plans. I mean, look at all the people right now who might've like launched out and we get hit with a pandemic and it completely changes what you have to do.
1: Right. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. I blame the pandemic for me not being famous. That's <laughs> a good excuse. Same.
2: Uh, I, but I mean, here's the thing, like how important it is it to be famous and how important it is to just be allowed. Like, I'm not famous, famous, you know, I'm very anonymous. I can walk down the street in LA and I'm waiting in line with anyone else. Like that no no one knows who I am at all. Um, especially for voiceover because your face isn't as attached to it. They may know, maybe if you spoke, but again, if you're doing a voice as a character, you're not talking in your character voice. Like I don't go to the grocery store and talk like Rosalina. Um, So a lot of times people don't know who the heck you are anyway. Um, What is, what is really wonderful is, is being able to make a living doing things you actually like doing like to me fame, whatever, but, but being able to say like, yeah, this is when I work, this is what I get to do to do that. That's, that's what's really exciting.
1: You're absolutely right. It's all yep. about the money. I was mistaken.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I am I am curious though. Like when, when you were like a little, little kid, did you want to be a princess?
2: Yes. I was Cinderella obsessed. Like obsessed. Like that was my thing. Like I'm so into the Disney princess type thing. Um, very, very like makeup, wanted to wear makeup and jewelry and fluffy dresses. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I was such a girly girl. And so princess focused and my grandfather, I have this, he just passed away last year. He was 101. Um, but oh, wow. Yeah, no, like a nice long life and really healthy and alert and functioning for 99% of it, which is more than most people could ask. Um, but he used to love to tease me where he would call me Prince charming because, and he'd say that he was Cinderella, and I would get so mad and I would like cry and just be like, and be like, you can't be Cinderella. I'm Cinderella, like, just so mad about it. He'd be like, no, no, you're Prince, you're Prince Charming. It's like.
0: <laughs> uh, that so, sounds like a very grandpa thing to do.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So, how does it feel now like growing up and, and essentially doing the voice of a real princess?
2: <laughs> I, you know, I mean, it's fun. I mean, like, gosh, like, w- what is more fun than? than that. I I don't know. It'd be hard for me to even think of like, what is, Mm -hmm. what is a more fun job than some of the things that I get to do, Uh, like like to play make-believe, like whether you're doing it in front of a camera and you're getting to dress up and and I am not someone who's like, Oh, this is fun because I like to look like a princess or beautiful. Like I actually love playing awkward, weird characters who are a total mess. That's my kind of favorite thing to do, but um, I sure do love like just Like Genshin Impact is the other game that I think a lot of people would probably know. Like just when you see the artwork, like a lot of times when you get an audition and they send you the artwork for the character and they're like, so you you see, like, oh, okay, this is what this this character looks like. And then they tell you a few of the characteristics of what that character might be like and then coming up with what they might sound like. And it's just your spin on that and knowing that they're going to get like all sorts of different things. And maybe that's what you do is going to be right for maybe you're not. That is so exciting to me, like that, the creativity and that that's like play, right? Like that's as much as like when you're a little kid and you get an an inanimate object, like a doll or a truck or whatever, and you develop a character and a voice for that. I don't know if, you know, you guys ever did that in play, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, you had your teddy bear or whatever, but that it had, it has a persona. Mm -hmm. Like the the kids tend to do with play. Like this is the type of character this is. And to me, it's, it's, it's the same thing. And I'm just doing it as an adult.
0: Yeah, that's, it's really amazing to think about the fact that, you know, you went from imagining you were a princess <laughs> as a kid to now playing one or not. I'll tell a quick embarrassing story because you're.
2: Please. Yeah, so you story. you just,
0: you brought that up. So when I was a kid, so uh, the normal co-host of the show, Jason and I, we do a retro gaming podcast. Oh, cool. Uh, and uh, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with, Nintendo, everything from Mario, Zelda. And I remember in the Nintendo Power catalog, you could get like a stuffed Mario or a stuffed Princess Peach, whatever the case may be. And that like, I would play with them as if they were real. So that just like you saying that just.
2: Yeah, sparked the memory. Sure. No, I mean, we just do it so naturally as kids, right? Like, do you remember mm-hmm. someone teaching you how to play like that? I mean, I, just, yeah. I remember my sister was a really voracious reader and she read all sorts of types of books. Like there was nothing she wasn't interested in. Like if you were to look at the coffee table in our living room when she would come back from the library and kind of just dump out the books that she'd picked out, it ran the gamut of like nonfiction books to sci-fi to western to young adults to I mean just like anything. Um, she she would literally read anything, and a lot of our games were based on things she'd read. Like that's what we used as the plot line for it. So I know that that informed a lot of our play, and I will say. We watched, my mom used to watch soap operas and we used to borrow plots from soap operas for all our, our play. And it horrified my my one of my grandmothers because she was a little more conservative and religious. And we had like evil twins and people locking each other and basements and affairs and like all this like really soap opera type of, of plot line. But bringing it back around Jacob to like the improv thing is, is that yeah. when I started doing improv, my natural sense of like, you know, they, they have what's an improv called platform tilt, right? Like, so the platform is the character relationship objective, where like, who are these people? What's their relationship? What do they want? Where are they? That's, and then something for there to be drama in the scene, something has to change. either something positive happens or negative, and that's the tilt. soap poppers are all platform tilt. Like, I mean, the whole thing is like, this couple is happy. Uh-oh, affair. Now they're not happy. There's the tilt. Now we're in a new platform of, you know, they're breaking up or whatever. And I, and that kind of sense of knowing when a story needed to change, like when it had, when the scene's gone to a point where it's like, now we really need to change something. I I know that innately in the back of my mind, like that was like watching hours and hours of that kind of stuff with such like training from such a young age of like, this is how story develops. Like that all story development always made sense to me because that's all that medium is doing was just, and, and there's no end, right? I mean, it just goes and goes and goes year to year to year. The story right. doesn't end. And like that, that craft um, it's, it's hard to do and to keep it and from, you know, to keep the audience engaged with it, you've got to just keep doing that. And that's improv too.
1: Right. Yeah. I've always enjoyed soap operas because it reminds me of staying home from school.
2: Yes. When you're sick. And that's how I started watching. Right. It. I had a year where I was sick a lot. Like I kept getting strep and then tonsillitis, like right after that. And I remember I got hooked watching a couple of the soaps. So I started asking my parents to like tape them for me. Cause I was like, well, like, I gotta know what happens. So then we started right. taping them. And then I was just like, and then in the summer you could just watch them all day.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like you 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 know have a marathon of like the Young and the Restless, yes. and then it would go into Judge Judy. <laughs> did and...
2: you watch Young and the Restless? I did for years.
1: Oh yeah, my my big one was General Hospital.
2: I Me like General too. Hospital A lot. In fact, the and you want to you know what's so funny is because I was like the first TV job I ever did was Leverage, and it was directed by Jonathan Frakes, who you know was nice. on. Nice. Yeah, and he is oh, like. Yeah the nicest guy like i you i don't think anyone probably has a bad story about that guy he is like he was so loved by the regular guy like people were so because ex- they have different directors in but people were so excited to see him there and, and it was like such a warm, fun atmosphere on set the days that I was there because, and I I think just tons of it had to do with the mood you create as a director. And and he created a really good one, but you know, he, he's married to Jeannie Francis, who was Laura on General Hospital. And uh, I had been like, maybe just because we had the same name or whatever, but I was like this huge Laura fan and this huge Jeannie Francis fan. And so I, when I met him, I was like, Hey, I just, you know, I, I'm a huge Jeannie Francis fan. He went, I'm married to her. I'm like, I know. Why else would I just tell <laughs> you that? Like, why would I just roll up and be like, hey, when I meet people, I like them to know that uh, I like Jeannie Francis. And so he was. And so, yeah, it was. I remember telling him that. Um, <laughs> I,
1: don't know if that. I just thought it was a major coincidence. Like, hey, <laughs> I'm
2: married to yeah. her. Who would have guess? <laughs> yes. What are the odds?
0: No, yeah. uh, Jonathan Franks was actually at Pensacon a few years ago. And I, I can definitely vouch for that. Incredibly nice person
2: so, I mean, God, I wish he was there this year, because I don't know if he'd even remember me, because I was just like, had like a little co-star part in that. But I remember him being so specifically nice to me, because then I remember he was like, uh, we were kind of talking, he had been in some projects with her, which I just, I'm sure is how he met her. And I was like, oh, I watched that. I go, I don't remember you in that. So then he kept coming up to going, well, what about this one? I was in that too. Like, you know. A girl, I was a girly girl. I was pretty much like looking at whoever was in a pretty dress and whatever. But yeah, he was so nice. Very funny. Um, just a great guy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, I guess that's a great segue to Pensacon, which is this weekend, February 18th through the 20th. So I got to ask, have you ever been to Pensacola before?
2: i haven't and this is only my second comic-con um of any kind really? like i just started getting into this um and i just i did sac anime last month and had the best time like i didn't really i hadn't even been to a comic-con as a guest like i had literally no idea what to expect just sitting and watching all the cosplay is just mm-hmm. amazing it's incredible people are like oh yeah i made this with a 3d printer i'm <laughs> like what the stuff that people come up with. And I just, I love, it's the nicest people. Like, I mean, the people coming up and just wanting to say hi, and it's such a pleasure to meet everybody. It's such a pleasure to be there. The kind of warmth and excitement. And just, it's just a lot of love, I guess would be a great way to put it. This is, these are projects and um shows that people are really excited and passionate about. And then they're there and they're dressed up and have, they're just there to have a good time. Like such a, Strong, positive place to be. So I have never been to Pensacola. I've been to a lot of different places in Florida, but not Pensacola. But I've been to Fort Walton Beach and it's close to that, right? Yeah, it's about an hour away. Yeah, so I loved Fort Walton Beach. I thought that was like a delight, like all that white sand. And so, yeah, I'm excited that, to go.
0: You get that all along the coast between Fort Walton, Destin, Pensacola. It's pretty much nothing but white sands yeah, on the beach. Beautiful. So,
2: and I I grew up in... Oregon. I mean, if you've ever been to the Oregon coast, like once you're numb, you're, it's, you're like, oh, this feels good now that I can't feel anything because the water is right. so cold. I could not get over the fact that it was like bath temperature water. Like I'm like, I'm, I walked water. I just kept saying, I walked right into that. I like walked <laughs> right into the ocean. I've never done that. It's like, dip a toe in, feel like you're going to die now, put the whole foot in. Okay. That's numb. Let me go up to my knee.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe you'll get a chance to, to visit the beach while you're, yeah, while you're in town. I mean, I'm not
2: sure what the schedule is yet, but um, if there is one, I mean, I'm assuming we're probably like right next to the water, right? Um, the beach is
0: probably from the base center. I'd say it's like 15, 20 minute drive.
2: Oh, no, that's watching. not bad at all. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's great. Yeah.
1: yeah. Jake, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to ask if you had any uh, panels or anything going on this weekend
2: maybe I don't know. Cause I again, I haven't been sent the schedule yet. Um, oh, but okay. I mean, when I did second Anime, I did um, a Genshin panel and a Mario panel and like, so princess okay. peach is going to be there for Mario. So Samantha, um, and I will Samantha Kelly and I will be there repping Mario. And then there's a few people for, I, I think from just what I've seen from Genshin there's like, like, I know Brianna Nicobarco will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, I'm forgetting, but I know that there's like there's several of us that'll be there for that. Oh, and yeah, I, think Charles, I think Charles Martinet is going to be. Yep. At Mario himself. Yeah. So,
0: Yeah. And the great thing about Pensacon and they've really established this since the beginning is that they're a convention for everybody. If you're a fan of something, chances are they're going to have it, whether it's video games, Walking Dead, Lord of the Rings, wrestling, or any fandom that you can think of, they've got mm-hmm. something for.
2: That's and I'm yeah, I'm excited to just like kind of walk around and see who's there. That was what was so interesting about SAC anime. Like, I'm like, oh, there's the guy who did the voice for Bambi, like when he was six years old and the guy who did Dumper, you know, you're going to be some like legendary people. And right They're they're both going to be
0: at Pensacon, too, I believe. Are they
2: going to be there? Yeah, we have we all have the same agency. So
0: gotcha. Yeah. OK, cool. Yeah, it, it should be a it should be a really great time because I've. I've been to Pensacon every year since its inception and I've never had a bad time. So,
2: yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it and looking forward to meeting anyone who wants to stop by and just say hi. And I I remember at SacAnime, people would come up and they're like, oh, you know, I don't have any money left. I'm like, you don't have to buy anything to come up and say hi to me. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. happy to just meet people like, yes, there's stuff there if you want that. But just come over and say hello.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what I like about Pensacon a lot, because it, it's it's one of those things where it's like you, you usually you would feel guilty coming up to meet someone. It's like, oh, sorry for wasting your time. I didn't buy a thing. But usually all the guests at Pensacon are, are very like, you know, no, you please just come and meet me. I'd love to just have a conversation with you, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, like when it's like the least amount of fun is when nobody's at your table. If you're just sitting right. there by yourself, like like even just someone wanting to just come over and just say, hi, I just wanted to meet you. I like this game. That's great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: sh- I just wanted to say real quick, I'm sure it's great, you know, for, I-, I can say as a fan, it's great to meet, you know, these people that you know, I grew up watching their work or hearing their voice through different animated shows. And I'm sure as you touched on, it's great for, the the guests too because they get to meet fans who might have grown you know these fans grew up watching their work and sometimes they bring their kids who have been introduced to that same work and they're fans of it as well
2: yeah yeah oh for sure like i mean there were so many families who came up and they're like oh you know we play mario kart all together as a family and you know like that that's kind of their game night and then i one family like had took a picture with me for their christmas card so it's like nice in the family and like, all right, all right, here you go. Here's your Christmas card.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anything can happen at a convention. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, sadly, we have to start wrapping up pretty soon. We have a few minutes left, but we're, we're getting close to uh, an hour, but and I, I, know, and wanna... I know
2: I talk a lot. So yeah, definitely ask any questions where I've been like, blah, blah, blah.
1: Hey, I love that because that means that's less work that I have to do, <laughs> but I know that you're a self described sugar addict, and mm-hmm. I wanted to know what is your go to sweet treat after a long day at Pensacon in Pensacola, Florida? Oh, what are you going to be snacking on?
2: God, oh, see, I'll, I love these questions. That's such a great question. I, I can't just say one. Uh, there's not just one thing, because I crave like four levels of different things. All right, I'll just name some faves. Um, peanut M&M's, especially dark chocolate peanut M&M's, but, but milk chocolate M&M's totally respectable. Love them both would never say no to either. Um, Trader Joe's dark chocolate covered almonds with sea salt and turbinado sugar is probably like my crack. Like I once, the first time I had that, I don't think anyone else in the room got any. I just like, I tried one and I think then I ate pretty much the whole tub by myself. Um, gummy stuff like, like Swedish fish. I love like any of that kind of like in dots. Um, oh, I mean, I'm a sucker for ice cream. I love almost all kinds of ice cream. There's very little that I can't, would not get a Reese's peanut butter cups, especially Holiday Reese's stuff because there's more peanut butter, like the egg or the tree. Yes,
0: I I tell people those are better than the normal Reese's, but no one
2: believes me. And they're fresh because they just made them for the holiday, right? It's not like it's been sitting in someone's back room for a year, like they're, yeah, I mean, it probably was, but (laughs) Uh, yeah, maybe I don't know. I I choose to believe they're fresher than that. And like, yeah, I'm I I love a holiday candy. What did I just buy? For Halloween this year, I got Ghost Dots. Did, have you had yeah. those? You Ooh, don't know what no. flavor never, it is? Never heard of those. They look, they're all just kind of like a translucent light yellow, but you, they're all different flavors. They just took the dye out. So you have to guess oh. like what the flavor is as you eat them. Oh, that's, that's a cool. fun game. And then I bought, I just have, I'm just finishing them off for Valentine's Day. I buy the heart-shaped junior mints, and some of them okay. are red, and some of them are just the regular white inside. But I swear the red ones taste better. I know that if people are like, no, they don't. It's the same thing. I'm like, it just does.
1: Just just trust me on it. Have have you ever had a Reese's fast break? A what? A Reese's fast break.
2: I don't know that I have. Is it new?
1: It's semi-new, yeah. So like when you buy the bags of mixed candy for Halloween or whatever, sometimes they'll have little ones in there, but you can get like a king-sized Reese's fast break. And to me, it tastes like a lot like if you took like a, a Reese's Christmas tree or something like that and made like a king size candy bar out of
2: it. Oh, that sounds so, so good. I'm I like would recommend really like having this conversation because now I'm just like <laughs> thinking about all the candy I want to eat.
1: <laughs> well, I would recommend picking up a Reese's fast break at a gas station.
2: OK, so you check it out. I, I will report back like that's That is a challenge I am happy to take on. I, there's very few candies that I would not try. Right.
1: Yeah, what I've been into lately, because I'm a Mardi Gras baby, so my birthday's February 25th. <laughs> Sometimes it's on Fat Tuesday, not this year, but I have been after some king cake. You better believe it. I love king cake, and uh, the one that we have right now is blueberry uh, cream cheese king wow. cake. Wow, nice. Um,
2: yeah, king cake is great. Do you did you typically get the baby?
1: No, we take the baby out because we don't want <laughs> to choke on it. <laughs> Because you're
2: eating it that
1: fast. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not the smartest. Like I messed up at the beginning of the interviews. You probably tell. It's like I'm gonna choke on the baby.
2: <laughs> you know what? I one time made these cookies. They were so good, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Ow!" And I had bit my own hand, like devouring them. I'm like, "How pathetic is that? That I I've like, done that." And you're like, "How does that happen? Like an animal, like you know, a dog, like chewing its own paw." But I was like, "Ah, oh, these cookies are so good." I make these cookies, it's, you can find the recipe really easy, but it's a, it's a chocolate chip cookie, but you put in malted milk powder and, uh, crushed up Lay's potato chips. So it's got that, like, I love a sweet salty, like that kind of mixed together. And they are some of the best cookies. Whenever I like go to a potluck or something, I'm like, I'll bring those cookies. Someone is always like, who brought these, who brought these, these are really good. Who brought these? I'm like, yeah.
1: I have to find that recipe. I'm going to give my girlfriend homework after this episode.
2: Like, hey,
0: (laughs) need you to find this recipe now.
2: (laughs) No, I mean, baking, bake, I'm a pretty good baker. Like, I I wouldn't call myself a remarkable cook, but I'm actually a pretty good baker. And it's solely because I love to eat dessert. And so at some point, I make like uh, raw cookie dough. That's another one I love. Like, I make the edible raw cookie dough where you don't put eggs in it or anything. Love that. That's when I was in college. My roommate and I used to eat. This is the same one with the the Mario game. We would make for dinner microwave popcorn, Coca Cola Classic, and raw chocolate chip cookie dough. <laughs> That's what that sounds used. like a great night. <laughs> I know, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> and this was, and it was not the safe to eat. Like when there were eggs in it and stuff. We just would like, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, have, it's good. So for we didn't for know any Arkansas better back stuff. then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you turned out fine. You're here. I did. It's it's good. All
2: good. Nothing, yeah. nothing no harm done. And it was delicious. And I still think that sounds good to this day. It's disgusting, but I would still eat it. If someone was like, all right, this is all we have microwave popcorn, Coke, and creature. I'd be like, yeah, done once. do that again.
1: That sounds like a gourmet meal to me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Derek, do you have a final question for our guests before we get out of here? Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to uh, get your hands on?
0: Since you're a part of the Mario franchise, I got to ask this all time favorite Mario game.
2: Well, for me personally, probably would be Super Mario 3D World, but just because it was my first one, like I mean, like that excitement and, um, you know, like getting to work on that and kind of, you know, my first experience doing the character, I would say that's my favorite. But I got to say the one I probably played the most is Mario Kart. And I do love to race Mm -hmm. Mario Kart. Um, and it was especially fun when I was doing that show and you're like racing against someone that you're sitting next to, like, you know, that, that we were all connected and able to do that. Right. But I, and then also I'm super obsessed with those Wario games. Um, mm-hmm. I just, yeah the micro games, the, the micro games, they're perfect for like a short attention span. And then they're so weird. Like, I love that. And then there's another game. This isn't a Mario game, but, um, elite beat agents. Have you ever played that? mm this was another kind of random game where it's uh, you could probably like find it somewhere online, but I was like super obsessed with that for a while.
1: So yeah, follow up question. What? what is what is your least favorite Mario Kart map and why is it Rainbow Road?
2: <laughs> Rainbow Road, of course, because it's hard. No. I can't remember because really, I haven't played in a while well, and I'm sure there's new ones out that I'm not remembering, yeah. but.
1: Well, uh-huh. they, they redo Rainbow Road like four times and make it worse. And I'm like, why do you have why is this what you want to be known for?
2: Yeah,
0: it's almost yeah. like that dread. Like when you were a kid and you got in trouble and your parents are like, yeah, you're going to get it when you get home. Rainbow Road is like when you get home, you're just like, <laughs>
2: <sighs> oh, now I got to beat this level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But-
2: no, I mean, I'm a lot of people have asked. They're like, oh, you know, you're not playing the games. I'm like, I am obsessive when I like something like I will mm spend hours playing something and so you know when you're a voice actor an actor of any kind part of your job is finding work all the time you know what I mean it's auditioning for things it's seeking out auditions for things so I have kind of rules for myself about what I'm allowed to do during the day in terms of like how like I don't watch tv during the day I'll watch it at night but I won't watch it during the day because I would get nothing done you know like if you just like unless I was watching something because I had like an audition for a show and I needed to understand the show, like, you know, kind of the tone of it or something then I would let myself watch an episode or something of that. But yeah, playing video games, like once you kind of get into that and you're like, okay, just one more level, I'm just going to play one more thing. Okay. Let me just try one more time, especially if you're not putting money in like you don't have to pay each time. Um, Yeah. It can, it can turn into a real time suck.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that, um, the, uh, the, the answer ended in time suck. But um, <laughs> anyways, uh, all jokes aside, thank you so much for coming on our show. Uh, you've been a wonderful guest. I've been looking forward to this interview for all, all week. Uh, where can people find you uh, on the interwebs if they if they want to get in touch with you?
2: I'm most easy to find on uh, Instagram. That's probably where I spend most of my time. And it's just my name, Laura Faye Smith. Um, and then and there's an E in Faye. So L-A-U-R-A-F-A-Y-E-S-M-I-T-H. And then I'm on Twitter sometimes too. I don't have a TikTok. I have a Facebook account, but don't try and friend me there because I just never go on. And, you know, it only exists because that's the only way I have to get in touch with certain people who I don't have their (laughs) email or whatever. But yeah, I'd say Instagram, um, Instagram and Twitter are the best places to connect with me.
1: That's great. And of course, anyone listening should come and visit Miss Smith, February 18th through the 20th, go up to her table, say hi, say, Hey, I listened to you on the open micros podcast. That's a really good show. You don't have to say all that, but you should paraphrase it. Um, Derek, what uh, what do you have going on, man? Where can where can the people follow you at? Yeah, if you want to check out
0: my podcast, the Feature Presentation Podcast, I'm at uh, Feature Pres Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to get even more hyped for Pensacon after you hear this show, you can check out my conversation with Mr. Rob Paulson, who is the voice of Yakko Warner, Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, Raphael from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And you can also check out mine and Jason's other show, Nerd Cave Retro. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a live version of Nerd Cave Retro at Pensacon Saturday at 5 p.m. at the Bowden Building. We will be recording the panel. So if you can't make it, you can check that out on next week's show. You can follow that show uh, at Nerd Cave Retro on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.
2: Derek, I'm going to be doing the SoCal Retro Gaming Expo the week after we do Pensacon. Um That would be probably something you would like.
0: I, I would probably spend a lot of money.
2: Yeah, probably.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, as for me and Open Micers, uh, you can find me crashing the Nerd Cave Retro Panel February 19th at 5 p.m. Um, I actually have a comedy show Friday, uh, February 18th at, I think, 8 p.m. at Odd Colony Brewing Company. I'm going to be going there to do a set uh, while I'm in town for Pensacon. And you can follow Open Micers at Open Micers Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can follow me at Jacob C. Craig on Twitter. Follow at J. on Twitter for our fallen counterpart, Jason, who is not here because of his huh, silly little garage band practice. And uh, he's, he was signed to like a major label, by the way. So that's He was? It. Oh, yeah. Jason oh, that's was, a, great. He was a drummer for a band that was signed to Universal for a while. So, nice. Yeah, that's the joke. And and he's he's not actually a horrible drummer. But um yeah, if you want to email us, email us at openmicerspodcast at gmail.com. Tell us how great we are, tell us how much we suck. If you are a guest that want to come on the show, go ahead and send us an email. I'll get right back to you. Thanks again to Ms. Laura Faye Smith for coming on our show, and we will see you guys next week.